Bonjour. Hello. Hola. Marhaba bikum. Hello, welcome back to Your Planet from AFP, brought to you in association with The Conversation. I'm Anna Cunningham. Very good to have you with us as we continue our journey exploring the initiatives promising to lead us to a more sustainable planet. Nuclear power has been one of the hot topics at the United Nations Climate Change Conference COP28 in Dubai, the focus being on accelerating various aspects of nuclear energy. But more than 20 nations, ranging from the US to Ghana, Japan and several European countries, including France, have called for the tripling of nuclear energy capacity by 2050 from 2020 levels. But just how feasible is that push to expand nuclear energy, particularly in developing countries? We'll delve into that and more and explore the debate. This is Your Planet from AFP. Are we entering a new era for nuclear power? Rafael Grossi, the director of the International Atomic Energy Agency, the IAEA, thinks we could be. What we see is an enormous interest on nuclear energy from uh, confirmed users like France, the United States, the United Kingdom, the whole of Eastern Europe, many developing countries, China, Russia, India, South Africa. So it's a global Phenomenon. But not everyone is welcoming a resurgence in nuclear energy. Some are in fact going in the opposite direction. Celebrations in Munich, Germany in April by anti-nuclear protesters as the plug is finally pulled on the country's last three nuclear power plants. There's been a strong anti-nuclear movement in Germany for decades, But now Europe's largest economy could be forced to delay its phasing out of coal-fired power stations planned for 2030. The politics of nuclear divide Europe. France has the world's third biggest number of nuclear power stations and shows no signs of abandoning them. The UK, which currently generates around 15% of its electricity by nuclear power, is busy building new power plants. One venture, Hinkley Point C, is funded jointly by the state-run French EDF Energy and China's state-owned China General Power. The French energy minister Agnès Pannier-Runacher gave her support on a visit to the plant. We are in the middle of a climatic crisis, uh, energy crisis, and clearly nuclear will be part of the solution to reduce our CO2 emission and to enhance our independence when it comes to energy, our competitiveness when it comes to energy, and our capacity to deliver at any time electricity to the people and to the companies of Europe. But is nuclear power truly a solution for the climate crisis? It's evidently a cleaner source of power than, say, diesel power generators frequently found in countries such as Nigeria, where the national grid collapses with increasing regularity and power blackouts are a daily occurrence. The European Commission believes the move to nuclear energy is necessary. 
The global energy watchdog, the International Energy Agency, the IEA, says nuclear capacity must be doubled to achieve carbon neutrality by 2050. In a recent report, it said the phasing down of fossil fuels is not happening quickly enough. Brent Wanner is head of the IEA's power sector unit. So nuclear power in 2022, it provided about 9% of electricity worldwide. So as you mentioned, we we highlight uh, that looking in the long term, we see nuclear power has the potential as a role of contributing to clean energy transitions, doubling overall in terms of capacity. And so in the net zero roadmap, the pace of electricity demand growth accelerates and we look forward. So Total electricity demand in the world increases by more than two and a half times uh, in our net zero scenario. Brent Wanner believes the demand for decarbonised electricity will grow as economies transition away from fossil fuel use and towards renewable energies. So, for example, the move from diesel and petrol cars to electric vehicles that need charging. But he warns time is running out emissions really need to to decline very rapidly. And I think that's the key point that taking any technology, any low emissions technology off the table or out of the the options, uh, including nuclear power, makes that path even narrower. Historically, the world's been cautious of nuclear power, particularly after disasters such as Three Mile Island in 1979, Chernobyl in 1986 and Fukushima in 2011. But it remains one of the cleaner energy sources we have at our disposal, emitting the least CO2. Currently, 32 countries from major Western nations to some emerging economies, such as the UAE, use nuclear energy. So, as the world grapples with how to deal with the climate crisis, is nuclear power truly back on the table? Teva Meyer, an Associate Professor of Political Geography and Geopolitics at the University of Haute Alsace, believes so. The trend is effectively a return to political support for nuclear power. And there is an important point that's often overlooked. The desire of countries to access nuclear power is a technological symbol of their emergence on the world stage. China has 22 reactors under construction. It's the country where nuclear power is currently developing most rapidly. India is a special case, with nuclear power accounting for just over 3% of India's electricity production. But the aim is to triple the share within 10 years. Of course, there's Bangladesh, the country's currently building its own nuclear reactor, and then there's Turkey. As these countries develop, we see others becoming more interested, but haven't yet taken the plunge. In October, Bangladesh received its first uranium delivery for a Russian-backed nuclear plant. Bangladeshi and Russian flags were draped on stage at the Rupir nuclear power plant site alongside a giant picture of the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, above the words, nuclear power for smart Bangladesh. 
Bangladesh says this project is aimed at boosting its overstretched energy grid and alleviating the chronic blackouts for its population of some 171 million people. Moscow's bankrolling the $12.6 billion plant. Its 90% loan lasts 28 years. In a traditional ceremony, officials from the Russian nuclear consortium Rosatom presented some uranium delivered in an ornate vial to the Bangladeshi Prime Minister Sheikh Hasina. Today we are stepping into the nuclear age. Our trusted and tested friend, the Russian Federation and President Putin, have honoured Bangladesh and all of us by being here today. Rosatom dominates the market way ahead of France's EDF and South Korea's TEPCO. Teva Mayer says Russia getting involved in South Asia is part of a much wider geopolitical aspect of the nuclear power market. Rosatom is now the world's leading exporter of nuclear reactors. It has 33 contracts signed abroad currently, in Egypt, China, India and in Hungary. Rosatom is the only player in the world capable of providing a complete nuclear package that includes building the reactor, supplying the fuel, and taking back the nuclear waste. This is unique to Russia, because for legal reasons, for example, a French nuclear reactor manufacturer would not be able to take in waste from abroad. There is one major continent that's now being tempted by nuclear power, Africa, where around 43% of the population doesn't have access to electricity. The IEA estimates that some 600 million people, most of them in sub-Saharan Africa. Africa does have one nuclear power plant, the Coburg nuclear power station in South Africa, but it's clear Russia is eyeing up the continent for a nuclear energy expansion. In October, Burkina Faso, which has been ruled by a military junta for a year, signed off on an agreement with Rosatom to build a power station. The Russian consortium has already signed nuclear cooperation agreements with at least 18 countries, according to Tevameya. These agreements are mainly training arrangements. But for Russia, it's getting its foot in the door. Because with a cooperation agreement, if they go to train in Russia, there's a better chance that they'd buy a Russian reactor than a European or a Chinese one. Rwanda is a prime example of how it's worked so far. It signed a nuclear cooperation agreement in 2019. The CEO of the Rwanda Atomic Energy Board, Dr. Fidel Nadayo, explains. Yeah, Rwanda, as any other country, needs energy for its uh, development. And the available sources like hydro, solar, wind, all those available sources, even the fuel fossil that we import, so are not enough. That is the main reason we started thinking of incorporating nuclear energy into our energy generation mix. We will be able to attract investors to the country because uh, when you don't have a stable electrical power, so it's very difficult to attract investors. 
Tenfermeyer says an expansion of nuclear power on the African continent could result in a debt trap for countries. Melita Steele, the interim programme director for Greenpeace Africa, agrees. I don't think any of these nuclear power stations that are being proposed are ever going to be built. I think what's going to happen is governments in Africa are going to be tied into debt. And while governments are distracted by trying to build these nuclear projects, they could very quickly be investing in renewable energy projects that could deliver much more cheaply across their country rather than sort of centralized electricity production. Accelerating the use of nuclear power at the current rate of construction, some 60 plants around the world, is not enough to meet net zero emissions by 2050. Twice as many would need to be under construction by 2030 to get there. So is it really a viable solution? Brent Wanner from the International Energy Agency sees financial drawbacks. That is, first and foremost, one of the the biggest hurdle because these are multi-billion dollar projects uh, and they need to be, those costs are mainly up front. And so that's, that's certainly one major barrier. The World Bank, which leads the way in financing development in emerging countries, currently refuses to support nuclear power projects. A spokesperson for the World Bank told AFP it feels that it doesn't have sufficient expertise in the safety and non-proliferation issues surrounding such nuclear development. That's their statement for now, but Tavermeyer believes debate in such institutions is ongoing. International organizations are also riven with debates between pro- and anti-nuclear activists. These international organizations are just a reflection of the debates that society is going through. When it comes to cost, while studies contradict each other over whether nuclear is cheaper in the long run than renewable energies, the IEA estimates nuclear power will work out cheaper by 2025. But as Brent Wanner explains, those estimates can vary greatly. They're different by region. So I think, and it, and it's because of the pace of construction and for these uh, delays that I mentioned. So, uh, for example, in China, the costs tend to be some of the lowest in the world because the projects are being delivered on time. And to budget for the United States and Europe, the costs would be significantly higher because the construction periods have been longer. And the designs are effectively, they are not the first of a kind now, but they will be the second of a kind. In France, one plant under construction in Normandy Flamanville EPR cost more than 19 billion euros. That's nearly 20.4 billion dollars. Costs have quadrupled and it's already 12 years behind schedule. And so to the all-important question of safety. It's one reason why anti-nuclear protesters went through in Germany. Brent Warner says any nuclear energy expansion needs to be done carefully and over time. Independent regulation and safety uh, establishment and the safety processes, they need to be uh, very well established. And this is not a short process to, uh, especially for a country that has not operated nuclear reactors in the past. 
And then there's the additional risk of war and political instability. Since 2027, African countries have seen military coups. It's one of the reasons why Greenpeace Africa opposes the expansion of nuclear power on the continent. Here's Melita Steele from the Environmental Campaign Group. And you only have to look at the example of the Ukraine in terms of what that possibly means when you have a nuclear power station and an armed conflict happening at the same time. And the instability that we're facing combined with the real dangers around nuclear just make a really dangerous combination. And not to be forgotten, the tricky issue of nuclear waste. Michael Schneider is the Paris-based coordinator and publisher of the World Nuclear Industry Status Report. We have a big problem with existing high-level nuclear waste. Irradiated fuel is so radioactive that if I was standing one metre from an unshielded irradiated fuel element, a lethal dose would be delivered in less than one minute. The costs of nuclear management waste facilities are enormous. And for Michael Schneider, this also raises a fundamental question. Can nuclear power really help tackle the climate emergency in the short term? If we're talking about the climate emergency, what does that mean? The term emergency implies a time factor. And everyone has known for years that we're talking about a decade So we're talking about a few years to 2030. So what can new nuclear power do between now and 2030? Nothing. It's as simple as that. It is too slow. It takes, on average, eight years to build a nuclear power plant. And with the IPCC saying emissions must fall by 45% by 2030 to avoid that critical threshold of warming by 1.5 degrees, should the world not be pushing towards renewable energies rather than nuclear power? It's a key marker for Greenpeace Africa, who support renewable energies. Here's Melita Steele again. What is required by science is that there is a rapid, urgent, just transition away from fossil fuels and towards renewable energy. And it's only if we make that transition quickly enough that we will avoid the worst impacts of the climate crisis. It's fair to say renewable energies do have their limits. Disruption to wildlife, taking up farmland, unstable energy outputs and very costly power grids to install. Professor M.V. Ramana specialises in nuclear issues at the University of British Columbia in Canada. He believes the debate needs to be reframed. I don't think we also can do a kind of a renewable energy utopia where just, you know, everything is going to be run by renewable energy there is no point in, you know, we can think of climate change as a narrow technical problem to be fixed by some combination of technology and economics. Or we can think of it as a larger social and political problem. Put it very simply, a model of the economy that requires us to constantly grow is impossible on a finite planet. You cannot have infinite growth on a finite planet. And so we return to those all-important planetary boundaries. Coming up next time on Your Planet, we'll head into the forests to take a closer look at biodiversity and essential to life on Earth. 
Your Planet is an AFP audio production brought to you in association with The Conversation. I'm Anna Cunningham. The producer is Camille Kaufman and the executive producer Michaela Cancela Kiefer. Sound design is by Nicolas Ver. As always, you can reach us with your thoughts on all that we're covering here on Your Planet. Email us podcasts at afp.com. And please do leave us a review so others know where to find us. Thanks for listening.